Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. One of the things a few years ago, uh, or a year or two ago, we're having uh, friends, having having dinner at a restaurant, at an Asian restaurant at Littlehampton, lots of great options at this uh, little restaurant. And I was saying to my, uh, to my friends, I was just uh, wondering, I said, I'm thinking of getting an Apple Watch because I'm, I'm wanting to get a bit fitter and make sure I, I track how, much I, how many steps I do a day and monitor, monitor my fitness. And my friend, uh, friends, uh, one of them burst out laughing and his wife uh, grabbed my phone and said, uh, don't you realise that uh, your Apple phone already is recording how many steps you're doing? And she grabbed my phone and clicked on the app and showed me how many steps I was doing. And uh, it was fairly low because I don't carry my phone all the time, but that's the reason it was low. <laughs> but, uh, but she said to me, that's been recording for you, keeping track of your fitness. And, and uh, you don't need to buy, and I haven't bought one yet, although I got money for my birthday and I nearly thought of buying one. I thought well, it was a bit extravagant, so I haven't, haven't gone ahead because my phone is doing it all uh, for me. And, then, uh, uh, and it's amazing how much our phones uh, will do for us. I remember 10 or 15 years ago, I, usually if I can hear it above my power tools, I like to have the radio on, uh, listening to uh, often uh, news or some uh, uh, interview. And the, this was in a talkback uh, discussion. And the big discussion was um, about phones, when phones were phones and you made calls on them. But the big discussion on the talkback phone, would you rather have a phone that is morphed with a camera or morphed, uh, uh, or, or, or morphed with a GPS. Which, which one would you prefer if you were going to put the two things in the one, in the one piece of equipment? And uh, obviously, 10 or 15 years later, we know what our phones can do. And uh, I, I read an article where it recently they said 21 hidden smartphone superpowers. Phones are there primarily to make phone calls, but now they do a whole lot of other things that often uh, that we, we, are, we are unaware of. And even when we've used our phones, and there's some of you who are real uh, techno freaks who probably know all the things that they do, but I would say most of us don't use a, only use a small amount of what, what our phones are capable of. Uh, I remember only about 10 years ago. It was going to cost about $800 to buy a GPS. Now, I just get my phone, uh, plug it into the car. I can even voice the location and it'll suddenly have the map come up and tell me how long it's going to take and where, I'm going, where I am at the moment and just gives us all, all that information. Cameras now, people are leaving their, their big fancy uh, digital SLRs, although as a a bit of a hobby, hobby photographer, I still see the value of a big fancy, not that I've got a big fancy one, but a SLR, uh, they still uh, do it. But cameras are now doing so much that you would never have dreamt that they would do. I'm starting to use it. I resisted it for a long time. You can even swipe your visa card. It can be set up on your camera. Um, you can check your emails and your texts. There's all these uh, things that we 
sometimes even not even aware of that our phones will do. You give you uh, one click, you can give an emergency location, you can store and have access to all your medical information, you can minimise eye fatigue at set times, you can help yourself sleep better, you can uh, track your children and elderly parents who might need... <laughs> You, who might need to monitor for their safety uh, and for your peace of mind. All these things are in one gadget that I gave my phone to Rebecca just before I came up here. And I had to turn it off because, uh, I was, to give you an example why, I uh, couldn't just leave it on silent. I had it on silent when I was leading the retired men's Bible study on, on, on Thursday morning. And someone, I think it was Lionel, was busy just sharing something really deep and meaningful and I don't know, it's very humbling to admit, but I've got hearing aids and they Bluetooth to my phone. And even when my phone's on silent, it rings in my ears. <laughs> so dear Lionel was sharing his heart and feeling very emotional. And I've got my phone <laughs> ringing in my ears as I heard the bits between the rings and I had to quickly, quickly turn it off. But these gadgets now do far more uh, than, than make phone, uh, make, make phone calls. And I want to say this morning that the resurrection means far more than traditionally the church has given credit for. Maybe, and not all of you, but many of you here, maybe you will realise after this message that there's so much more about the resurrection than what uh, you realise, of what it, what it speaks to um, about uh, your life and what God wants to do, not just in the future, but right here and now in this service, tomorrow morning, throughout this week, throughout this year, there's a whole lot more that the resurrection uh, means uh, for us. The church has often downgraded the resurrection to private spirituality and hope of a future resurrection, which is very true. A phone will always be meant to make a phone call. The resurrection will always mean that it speaks of the hope we have of a future resurrection for ourselves. That's a reality, it's true, but there's so much more that the resurrection means for us. It doesn't just mean um, that... Uh, we, he's alive and we can get to know him more or that because Jesus rose, he's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's interesting to know, but it, um, uh, it's not uh, just a ticket to heaven that to believe in the resurrection is to know that when you die, you'll be raised again and you'll spend eternity in the presence of God. All those things are true, but um, the, 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 f there's so much more uh, that the resurrection speaks to our lives about. And what I'm trying to cover this morning, the last point could be a 10-sermon series, and each point could be a series. And the kids are in, and I'm trying to just sow the seed this morning so that you go home stirred up by the Spirit of God, stirred up by the Word of God, uh, to look more at what He has for you. But first, I want to affirm, just like, just as a phone is meant to make phone calls, so too the resurrection means that you have a resurrection hope that you live with hope as a, as a person of faith. Um, in Thessalonians uh, 4, 13 to 18, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will uh, bring back with him the believers who have died. We have this living hope that empowers us in our daily living. 
We talked about it with the men on Thursday morning. We'd been looking at Abraham and, uh, and, and what his life is speaking to us about. But one of the things that we mentioned was that how important hope is in our lives. And any hope has power in our lives. Prisoners of war who knew they had family waiting when they came home physically lived longer than those who felt there was nobody waiting at home. They had no sense of hope for the future and they didn't survive as long in the, in the prison camps. And for us in our lives, with the good and bad that happens, we can live with a living hope that no matter what is happening, the hope we have is not dependent on who's waiting for us. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on who God is and what he's done and what he has promised. And so as resurrection people, living with resurrection power is first and foremost is that we live with this hope. It's powerful for our children to live with this hope. And I might have mentioned this in a previous message, but I remember as a primary age uh, student uh, in, a, in the Keith area school, a student of uh, a school from uh, primary through to year 11 at the time, um, uh, the, the French had just tested the first atomic bomb in the Pacific and the schoolyard talk was all about the fear of this nuclear cloud uh, coming, coming over Australia and the, you know how kids can talk and there was, there was fear in kids' hearts. But I remember as a person of faith thinking, well, that's, somehow it didn't generate the same fear as it was and it didn't even, I don't recall exactly feeling any fear other than, well, than the, the beyond uh, just obviously it's not a nice thing to happen but I can still remember feeling a sense of hope and my faith kicked in and I, I thought beyond the immediate uh, threat and circumstances and for our children it's why we have a children's ministry why we have someone like Marion and a team of great people who, who minister God's word and God's hope and the person of Jesus into the lives of our children they need it today more than any time with talk of wars and different things that are happening, our children need to live with that hope. But secondly, the living in the power of the resurrection means living in a dynamic uh, relation with God, having a living, alive relationship uh, with the, the living God. For um, some people, marriage becomes uh, just a going through the motions, the routines. Um, I'm not talking about where with children you're under stress and you're just, you're just doing what you need to do and that's important. But for some people, their marriage has just uh, become dead and boring and no marriage should fail because of that. The, the thing that should happen is that you begin to explore, well, how can my marriage be different? How can it be better? And I want to say this morning that if, you're, if your faith has become dead and boring, if you feel like you're going through the routines, if you're just going through the motions, even coming to a great worship service and maybe having your quiet time and then just uh, feeling like you're just all that is just going through the motions, then to pause and to stop and realise that God is God. And just like you don't walk out of a marriage because it might seem a bit lifeless and dead at the time, but you explore ways of making it better. I'm saying to you this morning that if your relationship with God doesn't seem alive, it doesn't seem, um, uh, you don't sense the reality of God in your life, he feels a, a million miles away. It's not a reason to walk away. It's a reason to explore what it means to have a living dynamic relationship with the living God. In Romans 8, 15 to 17, it says, 
Uh, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. Now we call Abba or dear father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also uh, share in his suffering. The risen Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, indwells our heart and wants us to be in a, in, a, in a living relationship where we sense God speaking to us, where we sense his promptings, where we sense the Spirit giving us discernment about what God's Word says, where we sense God's Spirit giving wisdom about what's right and wrong in a complex world where a whole lot of things are happening that were never dreamt of in the time that the Scriptures were written, but they are still relevant, they still speak to us today, and we can and have that living relationship like Jesus walking on the road uh, to Emmaus. After he was risen, he walked and talked with two disciples. He didn't answer all their questions. He threw questions back at them and made them think and wrestle and and wonder what uh, the reality was for them as they were disillusioned about their, I'll use the word, their faith. This person, Jesus, had let them down and yet God was there present with them, talking with them and God wants to do that with you. So as living with resurrection power means living with hope, it means having a living dynamic relationship with the living God, but it also means having power to endure suffering. In Philippians 3 verses 10 and 11, Paul said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. It takes supernatural power to live with suffering in the face uh, of what you feel God might have promised in his word. There's times you, you, you may think, well, God has promised to protect me but, or protect my loved ones and they're suffering in some way. And so you wrestle and question and wonder, where is God and what he is doing? What is God doing? But resurrection power enables us to keep the faith in the midst of incredible suffering. An example in a, uh, the Christians in Ukraine at the moment, a war where 46,000 people have died in the last nine weeks, where 12 million are, have already been displaced from their homeland, from their families, from their children um, as they uh, wrestle to protect their country. And there's a continual stream of shocking images of what is happening as bombardment after bombardment of homes and, and, and uh, just the normal uh, uh, hospitals and all the different things that are happening that you've heard of uh, uh, too well. But it takes resurrection power that in the midst of that kind of suffering, the nation has been called to prayer. President Zelensky and the chief uh, rabbi of that country has called the people to pray, Psalm 31. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I encourage you to read the whole psalm. But just at the end, in the midst of this kind of suffering, the people who have faith are saying um, um, words like, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all. They wrote, they, they are praying this after acknowledging what they're going through as those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. 
In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all you, his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but to the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. In the face of great suffering, people are still able by resurrection power, by the Spirit of God within them, are able to still see that God is a good God. We've sung it this morning, not because everything's rosy in our lives all the time, but because God is good in the midst of whatever we face and whatever we go through in this life. In... uh, in Philippians, Paul, uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul knew how to uh, be content and to know God's presence in the good times and the hard times. In Philippians 4, it says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty stomach, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Resurrection power enables us to endure whatever life throws at us and to know God's presence with us in the midst of whatever happens. But then the resurrection power also means that our lives are transformed. I know of people that have just overemphasized the eternal hope. I just know I'm going to be, uh, I know I'm going to be uh, raised again when Christ comes. I know I have an eternal life. That's all they focus on. They almost ignore uh, a lot of what, and they're living the most ungodly lives uh, that you, there's no sense of conviction about things that are dishonoring to God. It says in Romans 6, uh, uh, 1 I won't read the whole one to seven. Um, But what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were therefore, and this is the key part, we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through uh, the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, I'm just going to take a hypothetical for a moment. Imagine I'm a mongrel of a husband. Well, maybe it's not a hypothetical. We'll ask. I should have asked Rebecca about this. I haven't asked her whether I should say that. Maybe it's not a hypothetical. Even if it was true, let's say, let's say... Uh, that I get a terminal illness and you come and pray for me as a mongrel of a husband and I'm raised from the dead or I'm raised or I'm healed and um, God raises from the dead and God does heal people. Don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this, but there's one thing more important than focusing on physical power at work in our lives, just physical healing. God wants to, by the resurrection power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he wants to transform my life. He wants to make me a godly, Christ-like husband. He wants me to be that. I could be raised from the dead and go on being a mongrel husband. Um, But uh, obviously God wants to not just change me physically. He wants to change my heart. He wants to change my life. Remember, I said it was hypothetical and I hope that's true. (laughs) I'm getting a bit worried now. But God wants to transform our lives. He wants the resurrection power to be at work in our lives, transforming us to be uh, more 
like Christ. In Ezekiel, when the Spirit indwells us, it was a prophecy about the coming of the Holy Spirit after the resurrection. The prophet in Ezekiel said, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws, to do all that God has commanded, to do the things that Jesus taught. One of the things of making disciples isn't just getting people to put their hand up and say, I believe, uh, and, and then to get baptised and then not to do anything else. We are to teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And we'll touch on that a little bit more in a moment uh, before we finish. Living with hope, living with confidence in who God is, in, in able, finding power to endure suffering, being transformed, but also resurrection power enables us to live uh, with confidence. We can live with confidence because Satan has been defeated. We do not have to fear Satan. He's a minion that uh, has compared to who God is. And sometimes people in all the movies have a sense of good and evil are equal and uh, opposite forces in the world. And we're not sure who's going to win. And we had this conversation with the retired men a few, a month or two ago. But God is... God is God and evil is evil and Satan is Satan and he's just a little minion and God is victorious. He's greater than anything that could happen. Satan has no power over you. Satan has no place in your life. Where the Spirit of God is, where Jesus is present, then, uh, um, then you have confidence that um, you don't have to scream at him, you don't have to yell at him. Jesus just quoted his word and, and claimed the promises of God and lived in the assurance of the promises of God. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, uh, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise uh, shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil." And in Colossians 1, it says, who, uh, speaking of Christ, who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom uh, uh, of the Son of his love. We can live with confidence because uh, Satan is defeated and we are secure in the love of God. I hope this morning, just knowing that resurrection power because of what Christ has done, because of what the resurrection declares, you are secure in the love of God, no matter what you have done. Familiar words in Romans 8, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from, love's, from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, the resurrected Son of God. You are secure in the love of God. You can live with confidence no matter what you've done as you come with repentance and humility before God and dependent on Him. And as we live with that confidence, we can live expectantly, expecting God to do great things, expecting God to be at work in our lives and to do things that we never dreamed of or never thought that he could do. Familiar benediction that we read in Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Here's the key words in terms of this morning's message. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
live with expectancy in God. Not meaning that it will make you rich necessarily, not meaning that everything will always be put right so that you don't have tough times in this life, but live with expectancy that God has a better day for you, that God is at work in your life and that he wants to do far more than you ever ask or think. For as a church, we are living with expectancy of what God can do in in spiritual growth in people's lives, in people coming to faith. We pray for the ones and twos, but we need to expect that God will do far greater than we ask or think. We're expecting God to transform lives, to see people's lives changed and people finding hope in the living Christ. And we're with our property and looking for some home we've been looking. I've been part of the church for for six of the seven years of this plant. And we've looked at six or seven different serious looks at properties over that time. And at this point, it hasn't become a reality. But we live with the expectancy that God is at work and God will do far greater than we ever ask or think, than we ever dreamed of. Financially, God has been blessing ministry opportunities, that God will raise up people for Kairos, that God will raise up people for the worship team, for the Belong team, for life group leaders, for children's ministry, for I hope I haven't started now and left somebody, some area of ministry out, for the Lobethal Church plant. (laughs) Uh, I saw someone put their hand up there. So we expect God to do far greater things than we would ever dream for relationships with our brothers and sisters in the, in the churches around the hills. We can expect that God, in his heart and desire, will do great things, not just through us, but through us fellowshipping and working together with other churches and working together, maybe in our terms of the current prayer that we are praying, what is God saying about our relationship with Mount Barker Baptist and the, and the King's Baptist School that is all a reality that we can look at at the moment. Who knows what God has uh, in store there. But finally, as we live with expectancy, we also... Uh, in the power of the resurrected Christ, live for God's kingdom. We live for God's glory. Jesus said some things that without resurrection power, I would say with great confidence that you would find it impossible to do. Jesus said things like, love your enemies. Not just your personal enemies. What does it mean for us as a nation to love our enemies? Do good to those who persecute you. What does it mean to do good to those who might give us a hard time as Christians, who have a different view on moral issues, who even sometimes, and it doesn't happen a lot in Australia, persecute us just because we follow Jesus? Um, What does it mean and how can we have the power to love those and do good to those who persecute us? Jesus said, when someone keeps wronging you, keeps hurting you, keeps... keeps, uh, keeps uh, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And I'm not talking about uh, domestic violence where you've got to draw a line in the sand. You can still have forgiveness and ask someone uh, to leave if they don't sort themselves out. But Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. It wasn't about the number. It was about keep on forgiving. And I'm going to say to you that it takes resurrection power to keep on forgiving when someone is just not repenting and not changing and not doing things and they do it again and maybe they just don't do the dishes that morning. (laughs) No, I'm getting too personal there. Um, But um, I do push the button on the dishwasher. Please, please be aware of that. Um, 
go on forgiving. We need resurrection power to go on forgiving and, uh, and, and to live out the kingdom values that Jesus taught. That's what we teach disciples. So, uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. We are asking people to do what would be impossible without the resurrected Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, within us. And I guess you can sum all of what Jesus said, all of the Old Testament commands up, is to love your neighbour in the same way as you love yourself. Think of the things you do to care for yourself. Jesus said, do that for your neighbour. I find that incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging. I need resurrection power to love my neighbour in the same way I love myself. When the resurrection power breaks in, it challenges the cultural norms, the things that we just get used to doing because it's the way Australians uh, do things. In the Azusa revival, which was the beginning of the charismatic movement where there was a freshness that's come across uh, the worldwide church, people began in a culture where blacks and whites and um, uh, were segregated, they didn't even worship together. Suddenly they, they, they challenged the cultural norms and they worshiped together as one people because they were dwelt by the same spirit. When the power of God is at work, then we will challenge the cultural norms of the day. The poor were being fed when the revival broke out. Multiracial gatherings and uh, multi-denominational, women and men were in leadership together. On the day of Pentecost, we see where the kingdom of God broke in, the same things were happening. The poor were fed. People sold their possessions and gave to those in need. They did what was needed to bless their brother and sister. They met in their homes. Miracles were being done. They were searching God's word. They were looking to hear what God was saying to them. Um, and uh, that whole sense of kingdom living, the church is to model what should be happening in wider society, what God's heart is for all of humanity, that we would be in uh, deep fellowship and caring for one another and uh, expressing God's heart towards each other. The resurrection declares God's kingdom breaking into the world, the that declares, and particularly for the Jewish mindset at the time, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a statement that this man is God in your midst. He's the ruler over all religious power, over political power, over spiritual powers. And the resurrection declared Jesus as the king of all uh, creation. And that power has been let loose in the world and no, uh, nothing will stand against it. It's been unleashed uh, by the Spirit of God. And uh, that power is at work in our world today. Through the church, the church is not the kingdom. The church is the agent of the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom. We declare what it is. So often churches don't have kingdom values. Pastors fall. Things happen. Churches, uh, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul had to rebuke them around communion because, because the rich were getting all the food and the poor were going hungry. And he said, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. The church wasn't expressing uh, kingdom values. And so by resurrection power, the church is to model and be a light to the world, not just holding up a saviour or save people forever, which is absolutely true and foundational, but a light to the world in the way we live that shows the world how to live. We have an election coming up in a few weeks. Now the room's going to go quiet. What's Robin going to say about the election? We have an election coming up, federal election, whole lot of issues uh, that are before us. National security, refugees, economic well-being, 
disaster recovery, care for the unborn, care for the elderly, care for creation, care for First Nations people, and I could go on and on and on. I'm going to say about the resurrection, about the resurrection, about the election. (laughs) I've got the resurrection on my mind this morning, which is a good thing. One word sums up how we respond to all those issues. And I'm going to say that so often we let our politics shape our Christianity. I want to say to us this morning, we've got to let Jesus and his word shape our politics. Not get caught up in what we've perhaps grown up to be the Christian party or whatever that may mean, but to allow Jesus to shape our politics and his kingdom values are all summed up in one word, Shalom, which means peace. But that word shalom is what God intended for the children of Israel. It's what it was in creation. There was perfection in relationships. There was uh, justice for everyone. The creation was being cared for. People were in harmony with creation. They were in harmony with the living God. There was shalom and wholeness and justice was being done uh, for all. And shalom has the idea. The Arab, the Arab greeting uh, um, is, is salam. Uh, shalom is the greeting that often the Jewish people would say that they wished for those that they meet peace and harmony and wholeness and completeness and prosperity and welfare and justice for all and tranquility that word embraces not just peace as some simplistic word that doesn't mean much to us shalom involves all those things and those issues and those principles um, need to shape how you vote. I'm not going to say how you're to vote. I'm going to say the one thing I will say about how you are to vote is to weigh up what would Jesus say about refugees? What would Jesus say about the poor? What would Jesus say about overseas aid? What would Jesus say about national security? Righteousness and justice upholds a nation. If we'd have been more... I'm starting to jump into something that could be controversial. If we'd have been more generous to the Solomon Islands and didn't cut our aid, then maybe China wouldn't be there. Righteousness and justice upholds a nation, not guns and wars and submarines. And we need to realise and allow God's ways to shape our nation. And as we vote, we can weigh up what God is saying about any of these issues, care for creation, care for each other, care for the elderly, care for the unborn. But not just one of those, All of those need to be wrestled with and say, who will I vote for uh, in this election? And so Jesus, the resurrection power will shape our nation if we as God's people rise up and be a prophetic voice and speak up for the things that it takes resurrection power to continue to speak up for the things that God would want us to speak up about um, in the face of opposition. And so uh, as, as we close this morning as we look at uh, what Jesus' mission was. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, announce the captives shall be released and the blind shall see and the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. We need to let those, uh, God's mission be our mission. We need to speak up for those things and let them shape our lives. And, uh, And as we are people of hope, 
as we are people living in dynamic and intimate communion with the living God, as we are people who have the power and the strength to endure suffering, as we are people who are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, as the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, as we are people who live with confidence in God, as we are living with expectation in God, as we are empowered to be a prophetic voice for the heart of God for all people, not just for your family and you, but for all people, that we will be a prophetic voice, then you will know God in a deeper way and we can live in the power of the resurrection. And I finish with Paul's words to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. And then he went on to say, And we remember this in all the things that we long for. Not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's live with resurrection power today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and for the rest of our lives. And I want to pray as we finish. And I made a prayer that Paul prayed, our prayer, and in Ephesians 1, just lead us in prayer and the band can come ready to lead us when I've finished praying. Father, we thank you for the faith in the Lord Jesus that is present in our community and of the love for all God's people that you have put in our hearts. We thank you for each other and pray for each other this morning. God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, we call out to you on behalf of your people. Give us minds ready to receive wisdom and revelation so that we will truly know you. Open the eyes of our hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Shine your light on the hope you are calling us to embrace. Reveal to us the glorious riches you are preparing as our inheritance. Let us see the full extent of your power that is at work in those who believe and may it be done according to your might and power in each of our lives. We pray that the same might and resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead and positioned him at your right hand will be at work in our hearts and minds. Thank you that you are above all rule, authority, power and dominion. Thank you that you are over every name that is put forward in our nation. You are over every title and recognition that is given in this age and the next. Thank you, Father, that you have placed all things beneath the feet of Christ and anointed him as head over all things for his church. Thank you that your church is the body of Christ in which the fullness of the Godhead dwells and fills us all with your presence by your spirit who indwells us. May we live in resurrection power. May your name be glorified. May people find hope in you through our witness. May our lives be transformed from one degree of glory to another as your resurrection power is manifest in and through us from this day and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.